It's a funny thing how memory works, that sometimes you can remember the exact location where mm-hmm. you were when you had a certain conversation. Right. And I am there right now. It is the corner of 8 and Highway 24 here in town. I'm in Brent's Jeep. And the two of us, this is like 19, golly, 95. Right. And the two of us are having a conversation that felt so significant to me. It was very, very simple. But what we were reflecting on as therapists, people that were coming through our practice, and kind of what was going on in the world and what we were seeing in people's lives, we said to each other, you know what? In the coming moment for the church, people are going to need two things. Mm -hmm. They're going to need an understanding of spiritual warfare, and they're going to need a theology of suffering. Mm -hmm. That was it. It was simple. And then we turned. So the light turns green and, you know, we pull on a 24. Off you go. <laughs> but, like, there was something about that yeah. that just felt like it really was prophetic for what was coming, mm-hmm. that as Ransom Heart was birthed and born and as we've kind of helped people navigate into mm-hmm. life and life with God. So, friends, welcome to the Ransom Heart Podcast. John Eldridge here in the studio this week with Stacy Burton on our team and Bart Hansen. You've heard the series on spiritual warfare, or at least we teed it up earlier (laughs) in April and May here. If you didn't hear it, it was kind of the first answer to that conversation, but we're actually looping around to the second part of that, and we want to talk about suffering. And we want to be transparent with our own personal suffering, and we want to talk about the struggles of it and how we understand it in the context of Scripture and Most importantly, we want to talk about where's God and how to find God in the midst of suffering. And so some of our listeners have been to events that we've held or listened to earlier episodes where they might be a little bit aware of your stories. But Bart, I want you to describe for our listeners Guillain-Barre and this neurological syndrome that you've had for Golly. It's 20 years. 20 years. Going on 20 years. Yeah. Happened in 2000, but it really started all the way back in my teenage years growing up, doing crazy things. You know, I told a lot of the stories at boot camp about the parasail, pulling a parachute across the the prairie, and and um, we hurt, hurt my friend pretty bad, but I got banged up pretty bad in that, too. Experienced a lot of trauma. But Jason Adventure— Chasing validation, you know, part of that was good, part of it wasn't. But that trauma resurfaced again in my 30s and 40s. And then in September of 2000, at the age of 49, this was my third of five back surgeries from all of that trauma. And pretty involved. It was a bilateral, so fused from the front, fused from the back, multi-level fusion. Oh, my goodness. They had to come in from both directions? Both directions, yeah. And I'm allergic to narcotics, so coming out of the back end of that, you know, I can't deal with very good pain medication. So it's a pretty painful process. But in that first week of recovery, it was at the end of that week, and John, just to put a context on the history, is you and Craig were doing the Sacred Romance Conference in Southern California at our church. Oh, I remember very well. But anyway, I went to the doctor on a Friday, and that the conference started on a Friday. And what I didn't know was the flu was 
being exposed to everybody in that office. And so attended the conference, but Monday morning I woke up, I couldn't move. I was paralyzed. And they didn't know what it was at the time because it, it went almost two weeks before they diagnosed what I had. They, Wait, you're lying in bed. You had gone to bed, able to move, and the next morning you— I couldn't move. No kidding. I didn't remember this part. Yeah, couldn't move. And so they took me back to the hospital, and they started trying to diagnose what I had. And, and what I didn't know was during that 10 hours of surgery, after the surgery, they had actually left a towel inside me. and oh they had to, They found it in an X-ray, a post-operative X-ray. So they took me back in, opened me back up to get the towel out. So they're thinking, I'm, I'm running a fever and I'm paralyzed. And they're thinking, he might have a pretty bad infection. So they start down that track. Sure. Not knowing what it really was. And so spent almost a week in the hospital, and they're doing every kind of nuclear test they can find. Can't do it. So they scheduled me for surgery, and they thought that I had a deep infection. They said I had to expose. Now, in this week, I lost 50 pounds. 50 pounds in that week. So they were uh, actually an hour away from opening me up. And they had told Tana, they said, he is so weak that he probably doesn't have strength to survive. But if it's an infection, he surely won't survive. So I was an hour away when the doctor pulled a neurologist in, and he asked me what was going on, and I told him. And he said, you have Guillain-Barre. I'm like, what is that? So on Monday morning, I went in and so they, they stopped, they stopped the, surgery. the surgery. They didn't, stopped do, the sur- didn't okay. do that. Went in, and in 15 minutes, he diagnosed us. Now, what it was was that flu virus was a particular strand of virus where my immune system, which it was depressed from the surgery, could not identify the difference between my nerve cells and that virus. And so my immune system attacked my nervous system. And that's what Guillain-Barre is. And depending on how long it lasts, it can be pretty mild, and it's like a deep flu, or it can go all the way to death. It'll just start shutting down organs. So I had a, what they called a moderately severe case of it, and I was paralyzed for five months. I lost 50 pounds. Most of the damage was peripheral in my hands and my feet. And the first two years of that, I would have said, if this is the level of pain that I live with, I just soon you amputate mm-hmm. hands and feet. And that's how, that's how. I mean, you were so weak. Chris, your son had to carry, carry you me, yes. to the bathroom. Wow. Right. Yeah. For a long time. So after. Just a continual pain. Yeah. It was chronic mm-hmm. just 24-7. So what I learned about Guillain-Barre is there's some level of restoration for about two years, and then the level that you have after two years is what you're pretty much stuck with. So at two years, I got about a 60% recovery, but that entailed, again, my hands and my feet just feel like they were on fire all the time, which today is about, about the same. And to describe that pain, I remember If you get a first or second degree burn on a finger or hand or something, you know, it really hurts for for about 24 hours before it kind of numbs and goes and starts healing. Well, I remember touching a a red hot burner, and in about 30 seconds, it felt the same. 
as my hands. Mm. And my feet are probably more intense, probably 20% more intense than my hands. Mm. So it feels like, you know, your flesh burns. And Now, I noticed that you wear soft shoes. Yes. And you don't wear socks. Yes. Why don't, why? Why don't you wear socks? One of the worst days is trying on new shoes uh, because my, ha- my hands and feet are, are hypersensitive. And anything new that oh, protrudes okay. or, or puts pressure on you oh, is just, okay. just very painful. Okay. If I get a piece of gravel in my shoes, it's, it's very painful. Cold is, is another thing, that the hypersensitivity. And so along with that, my left hand, I, I don't know if you've ever noticed, my left hand's about 50% handicapped. Yeah. These two fingers don't work. And my right shoulder has about a 50% muscle deficit on it. My triceps are about 90% deficit on the strength. Yeah. I mean, I can't, can't lift much with my triceps. But uh, I remember the doctor, when I began this journey, he um, went in his office and he gave me, uh, he said, here's your drugs. Find yourself a psychiatrist because you're going to fight depression the rest of your life. <laughs> I mean, talking about introducing an agreement to you. It was pretty discouraging to hear. Sleep has been my challenge. Yeah. You know, when you don't get enough sleep, you're, you're just pretty exhausted all the time. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you guys see me fall asleep in meetings. And Bart, I've seen you fall asleep at stoplights. <laughs> 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 but, okay, so just, just so our listeners, so we're going to go into stories more as we talk about this, but just so our listeners understand, so 24-7, your hands and feet mm-hmm. burn. Yes. And that keeps you up at night, obviously. Right. You pull the sheets across your feet. Cross your toes and, and you wake up, you yeah. know, okay, because of that hypersensitivity. Yeah. And I get some spikes of pain every now and then. It doesn't happen a lot, but this is year 19 for yeah. me in yeah. this and never stops. Uh, I had to learn a lot of my motor skills over again because my body's not symmetrical. I mean, it's like a car that got in a wreck and the frame's bent and it goes down the highway kind of sideways. You do walk down the hallway a little sideways, Bart. <laughs> I do. I'm kind of a sidewinder. <laughs> but it's relentless, never stops, and it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate you putting that out there for our listeners, because I think folks can project onto the ransomed heart world that things are pretty wonderful here mm-hmm. because of the life that we do have in God and, and because of the intimacy and the healing that we talk about, the breakthrough that we talk yeah. about, I think people can project that this is the island of happy right. souls. Right. Right? I just think it's so interesting just watching you on a daily basis, Bart. I think in suffering and what we learn to live with, I would never know you are in chronic pain. I see you as a very strong person who enjoys running and mm. works on his ranch. And to hear what you live with on a daily basis is really, you just never know. Yeah, don't you just want to say, I'm sorry? Yeah. I'm just, I'm Thank just you. so sorry. Thank you. That, that's Thank you. your reality. And mm-hmm. our listeners have heard a little bit of your story, Stacy. but how long ago was it that you first got the diagnosis? 
So I am a two-time cancer survivor, breast cancer survivor. My first diagnosis came at the age of 35 in 2010. Mm. Um, had two young kids, ages five and six, and no history of breast cancer in my family. So it was just really unexpected. Whoa. Yeah. And I can't say I was really diligent with my exams, too. I mm. I was achy and felt a lump, so barely knew Brad on our team, but came to him with kind of a, what do I do? And so he recommended just going to my family doctor and went through the series of tests, and it was really incredible. It was diagnosed early, low grade, low stage. I think it was just stage one. Diagnosed at the end of April. So many doctors. I think breast cancer is such an... Foreboding. Very foreboding, but also it's a very proactive cancer in terms of all the research out there and treatment available. So the doctors, the nurses, and all the supporting people in the hospitals were so helpful. I barely had to think of anything. I feel like this from the second I was diagnosed, all my appointments were scheduled and so many options of what I can do, which was helpful and unhelpful. But what I did learn was, while breast cancer is a broad term, I think probably with any diagnosis, it is so personal Mm. to who you are. Mm. So through much deliberation and um, chatting with people, I decided my best course of action at a young age was to do a double mastectomy. Mm. So I was diagnosed in April and my final implants were put in in November. And I say this because it was such a quick and traumatic (laughs) turn. Like it was just a matter of months from oh, diagnosis yes. through the crazy mm, to through all the surgery. Mm. Yeah, the surgery, the healing, sending my daughter off to kindergarten, and it was over. And I remember my breast surgeon saying, "So I hope to never see you again." And I was like, "Can we go have coffee? Like we can't end this relationship mm. so quickly with everything mm. we've been through." So that was my first diagnosis, and then six years later. I found another lump in the same breast, and everyone is telling me to go buy a lottery ticket. It's a very rare thing to have Occurrence, a mastectomy yeah. right. and then have right. cancer in the breast mm. again because they mm. took my chest. Right. So this was in 2016, and because of the rarity of all of that, a new course of action was taken It was the exact same type of cancer, so probably just a rogue cell. So again, it wasn't very aggressive or very far along, thank goodness. I am grateful for God giving me the wisdom to pay attention to my body and know what wasn't right and to have it checked out. But this round, I had a couple doctor appointments with different doctors, second opinions, because this time they were recommending chemo. Mm. I didn't have to go through chemo my first round. To find out the type of cancer it is just isn't very responsive to chemo. But this time, six years later, again, all the science and everything, they found that it is actually helpful, even if it's just a little bit. Chemo, they suggested radiation after that because it was a rogue cell. Let's just make sure to zap it. And and that was really hard. 
It was a hard choice. You do chemo followed by radiation over the course of several months? Yeah. So again, it was, it's all so quick because of where I was, what type of cancer I had. Diagnosis in August. And then I think I started chemo late September. That lasted through mm-hmm. the end of the year. Radiation started January through February. And it took a toll on my body. And being my age, being an estrogen-positive cancer, they wanted to keep me in menopause. So I <laughs> menopause came pretty much overnight. But I had to go in and get these shots mm. at the chemo center. You know, who wants to go back there? It, it was just really horrible. So These were shots of estrogen? These were, sh- well, I honestly, I wish I knew what it was. But well, they but to keep you shots in, in my ovaries, yeah. And oh it was just gosh, to keep Stacey. things frozen oh. and paused. My other option was to have a hysterectomy. <sighs> and being done with having kids, it was in August that I decided instead of having monthly shots until I'm 60, I had a full hysterectomy. So within the span of a year, Gosh. my body went through. What an assault. Ugh, an hell. assault. Absolute hell. Yeah. What yeah. an assault. Not to mention all the soul issues, right? Oh. The heart right. issues. Of Truly. Heartache. Yeah. Fear. So much of that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Your kids, your so family. Yeah. Dealing with navigating all of that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I remember with my first diagnosis, my kids were five and six. And mm. I had my mastectomy and was told I couldn't lift more than five pounds. And it, it was months. And it was, I remember, a pivotal point where I could not carry my kids anymore. Mm. And it was really heartbreaking. I think it took about two years before I could comfortably lift them again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was a, a joyous moment mm. to be able to hold my daughter, pick her up. But she, she also grew a lot in a couple of years. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. And there's more to these stories that we want to unpack for our listeners. But mm-hmm. thank you for your vulnerability with that and being yeah. willing to, to put that out there. Because where we want to head is, what do you do with suffering? Where is God? How, yes. do we, how do we catch our hearts? You know, all of the core issues here. Right. John, do you have a story of Yeah. You know, suffering? I was thinking about these are two stories of physical suffering, mm-hmm. and they're stories that are not over, by the way. You know, the, the pain continues physically, but I could talk about the loss of two best friends. I could talk about the fact that I had to bury my first grandchild and perform the service mm-hmm. for that. But we have just aired a, a spiritual warfare series, and and because we needed to cover so much ground theologically in that, and and in terms of instruction, I actually didn't get a chance to tell a lot of my personal story with that. In Second Corinthians chapter one, Paul has gone through something really, really brutal, and various biblical commentators kind of conjecture on what it was, but I believe it was spiritual warfare in the pagan cities that he was bringing the gospel to as the forerunner of Christendom breaking out into the world. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, I think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. Mm. In fact, we expected to die. 
Another translation says, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But as a result, we learn not to rely on ourselves. We learn to rely on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us and he will rescue us. And he goes on to thank them for their prayers in that. But I know exactly what Paul's describing here. We had no idea what God would do through Ransomed Heart. We had no idea in the beginning how far this would reach, how many hearts would be rescued. Yes. And because of rescued hearts, you know, rescued children and marriages and friendships and churches and kingdoms and callings. Mm-hmm. And, but the warfare for us began pretty fiercely about 30 years ago. And I'm really grateful that Peter describes it as suffering when he says in 1 Peter 5, he says, you know, your brothers and sisters all around the world are undergoing this same kind of suffering. The Mm -hmm. devil, your enemy, prowls around looking for someone to devour, to maul, to shred. And Mm -hmm. so just to describe a little bit of that. Can I ask a quick question? Yeah. You say 30 years ago. Yeah. Was it really 30 years ago or just that you had a category for it or a name? But would you say it actually is all of our lives? Well, uh, no it, question. It, it was just 30 but I, years ago. But I'm talking ago. about a high-grade okay. level of warfare that I—the enemy doesn't know—he doesn't know everything. That's very clear. He's not omniscient. He's just mm-hmm. a fallen mm-hmm. angel. He's not God. But he does know some things, and he knows something of your calling. He fears it. And so a lot of the early assaults any person takes in their life is the attempt to shut down their calling and their life with God and their impact in the world. So I think the enemy had some sense. And in fact, I told a story in the Spiritual Warfare series about I was hospitalized twice with what I thought was a heart attack. Right. Remember that. And it wasn't. And my heart was unbelievably healthy. And they did everything, blood work and EKGs and the stress echo and all that. And x-rays, yada, yada. And both times they sent me home saying, you're fine. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't know what this is. And then I went to get some prayer and we found out it was a curse on my heart. And, you know, here's the heart guy about to write books on the heart, including Mm -hmm. Wild at Heart, right? And and the enemy came in early with some Mm -hmm. pretty serious assault, but it is actually, it's a very difficult thing to describe to people without freaking them out. But for example, we will often experience witchcraft in the night. We will often experience foul spirits attacking in the night. If we have a good night's sleep, it's occasion for rejoicing. Mm And you do that for 30 years. Right. That's pretty right. gnarly stuff. Yeah. It's a horrible thing to be assaulted by evil. Yes. You know, it's one thing to be kept up in the night with just some worries, you know, because you can sort it out. Mm-hmm. You know, you can get up in the morning and there's a new day and you can talk to somebody and you can kind of, but when it is actual evil mm. that's assaulting you physically, emotionally, spiritually, assaulting your heart, your life with God, it's pretty awful. And in the Spiritual Warfare series, I described it being in Puerto Rico and being in South Africa and being in some pretty dark places in the world where we have experienced such levels of spiritual assault. I know exactly what Paul's saying. He says, we was far beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we wouldn't Mm. live through it. Multiple times, I thought I was going to be killed by it. You know, part of the suffering, and more on this later, but part of the suffering is the loneliness of it because there are not a lot of people 
you can tell that too. Like, you know, in my biological family, there's no one I can tell that to. They don't follow Christ. I mean, they wouldn't know what to do with those stories. So, you know, when mom calls and says, how are you, honey? You just have to say, I'm fine and kind of live quietly with it. And then there's a small group of people, thankfully, that I can share it with. But the degree to which we have been assaulted by true Mm. darkness over the years and unrelenting and growing as ransomed heart grows. So we would learn to deal with one thing and then they just throw a stronger thing at us. And we'd learn to deal with that and they throw a stronger thing at us, you know, and and you get higher ranking spirits coming after you and you get more serious witchcraft coming after you. And it's, it's a different kind Mm. of suffering and one that's difficult to describe to people. Yeah. But when we get into the effects of it, and this is where I want to go now, the reason that we're telling our stories is we want, we want to help our listeners understand what do you do with your suffering, whether it is emotional or physical or spiritual, or usually it's all of those, you know, because the point of sharing is to get into how we have walked through this, where we have found God in this. So, Let me ask this question, because I know you know this well. What are the dangers? There's the suffering, but then there's the dangers of suffering. What it does to your heart, what it does to your faith, what it Mm -hmm. does to your life with God, or even other relationships. Describe for me the dangers that you guys have encountered walking through some serious personal suffering. Yeah. John, as I, as you asked that question, those first couple of years just felt like my body was in chaos. And the posture of my heart was, God, why? Why? Tell of me course. why. Tell, tell me why. Of course. And when and, I— and can, and can we just say, I think that's everyone's— Yes. Mm-hmm initial reaction. Yes, it is. Whether it's a a divorce that comes out of nowhere, whether it's a miscarriage. A death, a sudden death. Yeah, suddenly the loss loss of a job or a demotion at work or financial setback that comes out of nowhere. Isn't that just the human heart cries out? Right, right. And so my body was in this just tumultuous pain all the time. And asking God, why, why? And, and when I didn't hear God, I began to make the agreement that God's nowhere around. That's a danger. And um, he's right. abandoned me. Right. And then comes that loneliness thing that you just spoke about. When I felt lonely and suffering, it, it really opened up a lot of spiritual warfare to me. Just being overwhelmed, deep discouragement, despair, and oftentimes just bitter at God. Mm-hmm. And when there's no change in my suffering, nothing changes, just, you know, week after week, all the prayer, month after month. All the prayer bar. Yes. All of the prayer. And initially, there were no changes. Right, right. And when no change happens, then, John, I, I think the danger for me was the whole thing of unbelief began to creep into me. And I, I just had this victim mentality. And then you start blaming God and even self-reproach. I hate my life. 
I, I just think this is going to be immensely helpful for our listeners to hear this. I think they're going to be very surprised to hear what you just said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it feels like other people seem to live through it so well. Right. You, you know? Right. But, but to hear you name things like abandonment and doubt and even bitterness yes. towards God as a human response to chronic or sudden or traumatic suffering is real. And to air it and to put it out there, I actually think this is going to be really helpful. Right. You know, because when you're in that stuff, yeah. you also feel the shame. Oh, no doubt about that it. That you're feeling that. Yes. That you're not bouncing back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a kind of double-edged sword here or kick you when you down thing of, and how can I think this? Exactly. How can I call myself a follower a believer, of Christ? Right. And, and here I am, right? So true. So it's so both. True. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just think it's an interesting theme for certain loneliness. I was even looking up suffering in the Bible, just curious of the themes. And so often Jesus in his suffering was talking about how he must first suffer and then be rejected. And... Rejection's a really strong term. I don't necessarily feel rejected, but loneliness is certainly at the core of where I'm at right now. You know, there's so much being offered and so much prayer. And just as my breast surgeon said, I hope to never see you again. It's it's suddenly everyone's gone. And I think a lot of people can feel that as they go through their suffering. People are so quick to respond and other people are dealing so much in their own lives only so much can be offered for so long, right? Mm-hmm. And it's actually very common for people to be very present in the yeah. early stages. Yeah. What can we do? Do you need a meal? Yeah. Can I just sit with and, you? You know, flowers right. and cards. But that tapers off. Yeah, yes. it's not sustainable and, and understandable. Yep, yeah. And you're left with, but I'm still yes. suffering. Yeah. What was that like for you? Well, mastectomy surgery sucked and chemo really sucked and radiation destroyed my body more than anything hysterectomy however my suffering feels like since all that ended like I feel like to be honest I am I am in the midst Mm. of working through it now Mm. and it's really hard you talk about, Bart, the chaos of yes. your body. Right. And, yeah, I, mm. I think a danger is agreements. And just thinking through what agreements I'm in now, I, I feel like I'm in my 40s, but I'm living in the body of a 70-year-old. And I don't know how to get out of that if it's mm. in kindness that I'm not pushing myself as much, or if it's the agreement of this is the rest of my life. Right. 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 Oh, man, the power of agreements. The power of agreements. Because this is when we are most vulnerable. Yeah. Right? And when Paul says, we felt in our hearts the sentence of death, there was just something in him. There's a darkness. There's, And the agreements agreements get in, I'm abandoned. Mm -hmm. God's abandoned Mm -hmm. you. Or you don't have the faith to get out of this, to get well or to be whole. Or if it's internal trauma, psychological trauma, you don't have the faith to get 
over this. What, what are the agreements that you fought? Oh, that this is not going to get any better. I'll always live in this condition, and I'll never have good relationships with people. I, I lost so much what I love to do physically that I'll, I'll never get any of that back. And I think the worst agreement was in, in, the, in the depths of that suffering was life's not worth living. That's, that is so dark. It's dark. Those places. Yeah. Those places, right? Right. Very. And it, again, is lonely because as a Christian, shame and ha- even having those thoughts. So who can you tell? Oh. Who can you share this with? Right. And the accuser's right there. Oh, yeah. Oh, he is. To say, look just at you. jumping on you. Right. Yeah. And to just add Shame, guilt, yeah. accusation, fear, foreboding, yes. isolation, right. you know, just to throw, because we're vulnerable in our suffering. And, and dear listeners, I, I really want to say the worst part of suffering is never the suffering itself. Yes. It's what it does to mm. your heart yes. and what it does to your relationship with God. When I'll go through a time of, you know, rallying prayer and fasting and kind of thing, I'm up at three o'clock the next morning with horrible darkness again. The power of abandonment to get in, that God is just not helping. You know, the agreement of that, yes, right? The, right. The vulnerability to the agreement there is so tender and so real, and the enemy knows it, so mm-hmm. he just wails on you there, right? Right, right. And the pain of that suffering makes it feel so true. It feels yeah. so true. And if it's relational stuff, the agreements that get in is, I'll never be loved again. Right. I'll never be happy again. Right. No one really understands me. No one is here for me. And friends, the reason that we're unpacking this, and I know, I know we are naming some things for many of you, is we want to get to the beauty available to us in God and through Jesus. But you just can't rush there. You can't just put a quick Band-Aid on it and say, but God was there. God was there, and I'm well. And Stacy, for you to just even share some tears right here in in saying, I'm in it now. Friends, we're going to extend this over a couple of episodes and not try and just, you know, immediately rush to conclusions. But I want to offer you something right now while we unpack more. Hear that, friends. I, want to, I don't want to just leave you in your darkness. Probably the simplest thing that has been a rescue to me is Jesus, catch my heart. Jesus, catch my heart. When the phone call comes, when the diagnosis comes in, when the repeated diagnosis comes in, Jesus, catch my heart. I don't know what else to do with this. I don't have understanding. But just right now, right. catch my heart, right? When you don't understand anything. Yeah, in the middle of the night. Nothing makes sense. When it's back, Jesus, just catch my heart right now. I I don't understand, but I know I'm very vulnerable to agreements. Mm -hmm. I don't want to make those agreements because they're going to get me in a deeper hole. Yes. Right? And friends, if you are aware of, oh my gosh, massive agreements have come in, this is really good to name them. Uh, When you're done listening to the episode, Maybe when you get home tonight or, or, or this weekend, but give some time to literally write down the agreements that you've made because of your suffering. Mm-hmm. 
It'll never change. It'll always be like this. God's not blessing my life. I don't live under favor. Whatever the host of agreements is, name them and break them. Mm-hmm. Because that is the first battle for your heart, right? Whatever else may be ahead, however many years may be ahead, to fend off the agreements and to break the ones that you've made is a rescue. Yes. It does bring you up for air. It makes you more available to the presence of God. But before we go this week, before we end part one here, I do want to say, I think the worst kind of suffering is suffering that seems to be purposeless, meaningless, suffering we don't understand. It is the why. It's the cry of that. And it's really blindsiding. Suffering can throw you hard if you don't have a theology that accommodates Mm -hmm. for it. So I just want to say a little bit about that now and then pick up again with it next week. But, you know, back to the corner of 8th and 24th and that conversation with Brent, like we do need a foundation of understanding of where does suffering fit in the story of God and in the story of God in our lives, because we are a breakthrough ministry mm-hmm. and we are, and we, and we bring a lot of deep, deep restoration to people, but I don't want to give the impression that there isn't a context for this or right. you can really feel on the outside. Right? Or I'm I, just screwing up. Yeah. Somehow I'm blowing it. Well. it. Yeah, I'm not living well. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm not. And I think that's such a key place to go when we don't feel God. I should speak for myself. When I don't feel God is coming through for me, then it's up to me right. to walk through it and I don't do oh it my well. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Or this is happening because I'm not living well, mm-hmm. or I'm not getting out of it because I'm not living yes. well. And whatever that may mean for you. I don't have enough faith or the intimacy or the right prayer or the right friends to pray for me or the, you know, on and on. So I just want to give a little bit of context to it. Jesus in John 16 says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Jesus is an absolute realist. When you look at the gospel Jesus preaches, It is a very, very realistic view of our situation. Now, it's an incredible promise, right? And there are resources and there is breakthrough, but he's very frank, right? So that's John 16 and John 15. He says, look, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Mm -hmm. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. And that's why the world hates you. And then this phrase, he says, remember, so apparently they had this conversation earlier because Jesus says, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. (laughs) If I suffered, you also will suffer. And actually there is this holy, sober, weighty theology of suffering that is woven all through the teachings of Jesus, all through the Old and New Testament, but particularly the New Testament. Like, yes. Right? Right. Yeah. yeah. John, I as I go to Scripture, I just love what Paul writes. 
out of his own suffering in Second Timothy and in chapter one, verse eight, he says, But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life. He says, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And now you're not going to sell a lot of books with that, by the way. <laughs> I have never seen the title right? of a Christian book Join Me in Suffering. <laughs> For but, Christ. Yes, but it helped me turn the corner to get my eyes off of my own suffering and to get my eyes on God. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Hebrews says, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through mm-hmm. what he suffered. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, the, the Scripture says that Jesus was profoundly familiar with suffering, right? He was the man of sorrows, acquainted with, next-door neighbor to grief. And even more, it's said that his suffering served this profound purpose in his own life, not just in ours, right? And Jesus says, so look, if the author and perfecter of our faith was shaped through his sufferings, and if a servant is not above his master, then we are going to have a share in this. Either because you simply live in a broken world and human bodies get cancer, right? Human bodies get the flu. Human bodies suffer broken bones, right? And terrible burns. And it's just, it's just a broken world. And then you add into that scenario broken people, and human sin, and how much suffering comes into the world simply through sin. You know, the spouse that walks out or has the affair, the, the abuser making those choices. Not the abused, it's the sin of others yes. that often introduces so much suffering into our own lives. The hateful things that are said, right? Or the insensitivity that, you know, a broken world and broken people is enough to account for it, but then you throw in spiritual warfare. Yeah. Yes. Right? And the hatred of the enemy wanting to ravage the human race. And Jesus just says, look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. That, that is not a pretty scenario. That's not a bouncy, happy, always breakthrough scenario. Right. He's like, look, this is going to be really gnarly. Yes. It just is. Now walk with me closely, okay? Because the thing about suffering is it throws you. When it happens, you know, Bart, those early days, ooh, you're just reeling. Yes, but I think some of the spiritual truth that we just put on the table, it really helped me to begin to turn the corner because I felt not loneliness, but a fellowship of suffering with Christ, with the apostles, with what they're talking about, that I began to make a, a good agreement that maybe this pain is not wasted after all. God has purpose in it. And that was a shift, getting out of the depths of the pain to begin to look beyond it into God and to lean into Him. Now, gang, I know, I know, I know. I can just feel all kinds of things being touched and tapped and questions, and we are pushing into some mature territory. Yeah. 
because we do believe in breakthrough. We believe in physical healing. We've seen it. We've been honored to be a part of ushering it in. We've seen psychological healing. We've seen relational healing. We've seen financial breakthrough. We, We believe in that. And yet, a mature faith is one that accounts for the partiality of this world. Right. The suffering that gets added to suffering when people bring you a theology that says you shouldn't be suffering. Right. You can get out of this. Christians don't suffer. Your lack of faith. And then, yeah, and then there's some reason behind it, right? right? There's sin in your life or you don't have enough faith or you're lacking in obedience or whatever it may be. Friends, it is all through the biblical text. Mm-hmm. Second Peter, he says, don't be surprised at your suffering. Okay? Don't be surprised at the terrible ordeal that has come on you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate mm. in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Okay, so he's saying, look, don't be surprised, gang. We're all going to encounter this yes, in lots are. of different forms. And frankly, the more you align with Jesus, right. the closer you align with his kingdom mission in the world, you're making enemies too. So you have broken world, broken right. people, broken bodies, broken systems, broken schools, broken governments, right? You have all that. And then you have the raging enemy. Peter's just saying, look, don't let this throw you. Mm -hmm. There are resources. Christ is near. Yes. We want to share with you some of our way through darkness. But I think what I want to do as we close part one here is just pray for our listeners right now. That's good. Yeah. Can I just make a plug too? Please. Um, Because I think... If you have not heard the Warfare series, it's really crucial to go back and listen to it because in the midst of suffering, the imminent question is, why can't God just fix it with the snap of his fingers? And John addresses that. And it's crucial to understand. Right. We have a context. And the more that you understand your context, it really actually helps. It does. It does. It does. It brings strength. Right now, what we're going to pray is, Father, catch my heart. Yes. Mm -hmm. Father, catch my heart. Jesus, catch my heart. And I'm praying now as you, dear listener, I'm praying in the first person, God, there is unhealed suffering in my life. There are agreements that have gotten in. There are things that I have not dealt with, either in my past or or right now in my present. And I need you first to catch Mm -hmm. my heart. Mm -hmm. Catch my heart. Jesus, I pray that your love and mercy would come to me. And I do pray, first off, Lord, expose the way that I am interpreting this, because I am interpreting it. I'm coming to convictions about this, and I need you to shed your light on those and to show me how I'm misinterpreting it, show me where the agreements are that have gotten in, or that I'm on the verge of making, help me break them and lead me into a mature understanding and where, yes, the resources of heaven are for me in this. Whether my suffering is old and in my past or present right now, 
In Jesus' name, we pray the love of God surrounds each of us as we walk through this. Amen. Amen.